Welcome to the Inspired to be Authentic podcast. I am Matt Lansdell, your host. Uh, Inspired to be Authentic is a podcast where we converse with people who are living their most authentic lives. We get real with our guests and talk openly about how they live with courage to be themselves. We explore barriers they have overcome to be more aligned to themselves and their purpose. Today is episode 26, and we are joined by, for the second time by Amanda McFadden. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Welcome back. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll um, I want to just talk a little bit about the, the, the episode, and then um, we'll kind of do an intro and, and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah because some people might not have seen your, your first podcast um, yeah. with me, which was um, overcoming the I am not good enough story. And actually, that's been one of my most popular episodes. It's in the top five, I believe. So um, it was wow. very, very well received. And uh, I'm really happy to have you back. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to be talking about overcoming codependency with boundaries. Uh, this is a large, large topic, and it's loaded with a bunch of stuff. Um, so we're going to be talking about what is codependency. We're going to be unpacking the victim and the saver dynamic that plays out within the codependent relationship. We're going to be talking about what is a boundary, um, the need to be wanted or chosen, um, and how that plays into the codependent dynamic, uh, not feeling whole in our sense of self and how that plays into it. Uh, and then toxic shame will also be explored and looking at attachment trauma and or attachment styles and how these impact how we show up in relationships. So um, a little bit about Amanda. Um, so Amanda is a student of life, uh, a seeker of bliss. In her quest to learn and assist others, she will be attending grad school in the fall. Amanda is a member of the LGBTQ community and a consumer of the mental health community. Amanda strives to gain insight into healing toxic shame and negative narratives that have taken hold in our lives. Her motto, that you alone are enough, reflects the journey of healing that is rooted in all of us, being worthy no matter where we are on our personal journey. Wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, it just, I think that um, when you come from a place where you were um, very injured and you realize that that injury, emotional injury is changing how you interact with everybody mm -hmm. um, and, and, and live your life and, and the goals and, and everything that you set, you have to start moving forward and identify that it's a continuum. It's a, you know, it's a growth. It's a change that's going to come with time and just keep going with it. And I think this that we're talking about today is one of those things that is, is really, it's so important. It changes so much in our lives because if we have a codependent relationship with a partner, then we're looking at, you know, every aspect of our beings being affected. Um, we can't be at home and feel safe. We can't go out and feel everything's okay. Our finances can be up in the air. Um, we're concerned about people being arrested. We're concerned about cheating. It sends us into this sort of spin of, you know, writing that narrative in your, your head of nothing's okay, nothing's okay, nothing's okay. And yeah. if you're living in that, constant anxiety that, I mean, it, you can't survive and, you know, uh, flourish there. So I think that's why this is such an important topic um, to talk about because it's one that affects everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Thank you for that. Um, I, I, I also wanted to just mention this because this is a lie for me right now that I'm just hearing 
so much more power and confidence in your voice from the first time we we spoke to now. And I did a pot or a, a, um, a quote yesterday on my on my Instagram about progress and how it's important to look back on how far we've come. And I just even in this moment, your energy is completely different. Your confidence is completely different. And I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, some major accomplishments that you've had in the in the the, the recent um, uh, past here and, and currently that you've currently lost thirty pounds. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. That that'll definitely boost your confidence right there. Uh, well, it, it um you realize very quickly that when you're holding on to weight, it's a way to protect yourself. And yeah. so you need to let that go as part of a part of the process. And I was accepted to my master's program, which was, you know, such a huge thing for me. And as I was in the process, I was doing a lot of writing about what's the narrative? What's, what am I saying? What do I want to accomplish by the, doing this program? What do I bring to the table in that role? And that's where, and I think that brings power to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. It really does. and I did a year of celibacy. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that's amazing. With, with doing that, when you look at that with the codependency, it really, um, makes you change how you're perceiving all of the dynamics with potential partners in your life. Yeah. And it, you know, it really, you really start assessing things because you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not going to get involved with anybody, but you know, how does this, how would this person fit into my life? How would I fit into their life and, and start looking at what that narrative is? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, totally feel you on that. Um, yeah, I want to also speak to where I'm at because, uh, I, like I said, I'm noticing in you all this this positive energy, and I'm noticing in me that there's. I um, Amanda was gracious enough to push this episode back by 30 minutes this morning because I was struggling. I um, was doing some some work this morning um, with meditation. I was doing some movement, and I I I, I hit a, a really vulnerable spot inside my being, and I had a big breakdown, and I had a huge cry, and um, it's really t- attached to this stuff the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. So we're actually going to be talking a lot about my personal stuff and I'm going to be unpacking some of that. And Amanda's also going to be unpacking some of her stuff because these dynamics are quite alive for us. And whether we're talking about our past or our present there, there's, there may be some emotions that come up. Um, this is, this is some heavy stuff. So I'm just acknowledging that I'm feeling quite raw um, in this moment. And um, that that is going to obviously impact my relating in this, this podcast interview, but I feel like it's going to impact it in a, in a positive way. So I uh, think so too. I think through mm-hmm. your sharing you and your vulnerability, you're teaching others that they can be authentic and that it can be a safe thing yeah. and that you can be done in a safe way with a safe person who will hold space. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. <laughs> and I wrote that down actually holding and creating space because how, how there's no more per, uh, r- perfect relationship to have that concept alive than a codependent relationship. You need to hold space for other while also holding space for self and creating space in the relationship to remain being who you are. Right. Yeah, and I, I think, agree. I think if we're, if we, why don't we start out there actually, what is codependency? And maybe I'll start with 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 my definition, and that would be probably it. It would be um, not feeling whole in our sense of self, and we look to others to complete us, and we look to others to distract us from being alone. 
And, you know, it's interesting because we, we're all on this pursuit in life to um, eradicate our loneliness, but there's loneliness to be eradicated. And then there's also something that I call existential loneliness, which is a loneliness that we experience in life as human beings, where we, we have a realization that we are always alone, right? I go to bed at night and I, I'm, I'm alone in my sleep and I wake up in the morning and I'm alone. Like there's just there's a there's a, an amount of loneliness or aloneness that we have to make peace with in this life. And I think when we're not wanting to, to make peace with it, we end up looking to outside sources and relationships being the, the one that codependent people tend to gravitate towards as a way to distract themselves from the aloneness that they don't want to experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think running after, for me, codependency has been more something that is... Um, the control aspect, um, the control of another person, not in a, like a toxic, shameful way, but just in a, in a sense of, I need everything. I need to know what's going on because I need to make sure it's going to be okay. Because, you know, if they go, then I'm alone and what would happen. Right. And, and that aloneness is the driving force of everything. And I think that's where, for me, it's that need to just you know, need to have that other person need to have this, you know, thing, and it's, it's chasing and, and it, it takes the form of enabling them um, in toxic behavior, because it's that yin and yang, right. And, you know, we're chasing them, they're not pursuing us. And that's a not a healthy, healthy dynamic at at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's interesting what you said about loneliness, because I think the, the, um, I've been in two significant relate, well, three, but two significant, significant relationships. And I found that, um, near the end or when I came to some realizations, the loneliest I've ever been in my life was being in the same room and sitting with those people. And, you know, that, that's something I think that we have to be aware of is, is that, you know, like, how are we distracting ourselves? Is this actually serving our needs, you know, and, and, and looking at what it's doing because it's not helping anybody. It's not helping them and it's not helping us either. Yeah. Yeah. Something I've really been unpacking lately is how my codependency developed (laughs) and I'm still, there's still some confusion there for me because it's so deep. It's, it, it goes so deep. And I think, you know, it bleeds into my relationship with my family and feeling quite alone in my experiences when I was younger. And, um, I think it really, one of the the main things for me is, is I'm not really afraid of physical aloneness. I'm afraid of emotional aloneness. And that that developed because when I was younger, I didn't feel like I was emotionally validated. I was a very, very emotional child. I felt feelings very deep and I was always scared of my thoughts and my feelings and, you know, not having validation in that I'm okay, right? When I was like a five-year-old boy that you're okay, it's okay to have these thoughts, it's okay to have these scary feelings, I was instead told to go back to my room or, or whatever, because my parents didn't understand what I was going through. And I don't hold any resentment or anger towards them because of that, because they did the best they could with what they, they knew, but it's still, I still had to move through this place where I could start to honor my experience and say, yeah, I didn't get these needs met as a child and look how it's showing up for me now. Right. What am I, what am I doing? Um, and I think what happened was I, I learned very quickly as a child to start shutting off those things, dissociating from my experiences. 
and repressing my emotions. And then I didn't learn how to actually sit with those, with those emotions. And I made everybody else around me um, a perfect distraction for my own inner process. And I made other people accountable and responsible for how I felt. And I very quickly learned how to play the victim and get my needs met. <laughs> and that's a dynamic that's very alive and has been alive in all my intimate relationships is I make other people or my partner responsible for how I'm feeling. And I've had this realization very recently um, I've had the realization in my mind, but I finally had the realization in my heart that, whoa, I am totally playing the victim card to try and get these needs met. And I'm trying to be, be felt, feel heard and feel seen and feel emotionally validated in my experience of aloneness by, my, by making my partner accountable for my feelings. Whoa, this realization was huge. And things have shifted big time for me since I've had this realization. And um, yeah, and I, so, so anyways, that's, that for me is how, um, how my codependency originated. And I'm curious for you if you, if you relate to that as far as um, your experience or if you have a different experience of, of how yours developed. Yeah, so mine comes more from um, sort of uh, some abuse that was suffered um, as a young child. And then sort of that self-worth of then you're dirty, you're, you know, you're not, at, you don't have value anymore. Um, and then turning that into sort of a situation of the parentified child where, you know, um, you're, see, you're, you're taking care of everyone. Um, and when you take care of everyone, then you have a place you're needed. So you, that's where you want to stay. You want to remain in the, I am worthy. I am needed. I, you know, because if your secrets found out what's going to happen, mm. right. They're going to know that inside you're not worthy because no matter what they say to you, your internal narrative is I am dirty. I am shameful. I am bad. And that drives all for me, that drives all of any kind of codependency um, that goes on. And, you know, you're constantly trying to, you know, run and chase. And, and so for me, um, it's been a matter of, I am worthy. Um, I used to, I think I relayed this last time. I used to say to my partners, you alone are enough. Like you as a person, as my partner, as you are, you are enough for me. And then I thought, wait a minute, they're not saying that to me. And I'm worthy of that. And that was like, whoa. So I alone am enough. Hmm. And I have to tell myself that over and over and over again, um, because it's, it's a very ingrained narrative. But that's for me where all of that sort of shame and and hiding who I am and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, I, again, I have no resentment towards my family. Like I'm in the same boat. It's, I have, there's nothing, I, I don't hold anything. This is just, this is my path that I need to take to heal. Yeah. And so in my healing, I have to name what has changed things in order to heal it. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Um, because I can't, I can't, I, I sort of vision it like it's a sore. And if I keep putting a bandaid on it long enough, 
that they're around and, and they don't see it. And then I rip it off again every time they leave. It's never going to heal. And so I've learned that it's hard and it doesn't, you know, it, not a lot of people are happy, but it has to be in order for me to heal, to be whole. Yeah. And that I'm not, not doing it to hurt just to, again, heal and become whole, you know, in part of my journey. So it's, yeah. I can, I can, yeah, it's, I think we all, we come from different points of, you know, of, of starting for this. Um, but I think shame, um, I think thinking who we are, isn't good enough. Um, all of that stuff is, it, it's the root. It's that core that's at the bottom of this. And then how it's grown up is it, it takes slightly different forms. You know, some of us become more, you know, have um, issues with um, addiction and, you know, the distraction pieces and others of us, you know, distract in other ways, um, you know, like with, with people and that kind of stuff. But, you know, we have to grow through it. It's not, it's not something we stop. We need to grow through it. Yeah. Yeah. I like you touched on it a little bit, but I would like you to kind of go into a little bit more depth and I'll also do the same thing. I'm a little worried. I'm going to start crying though. Okay. You, you can go first. Okay. Um, is how does your codependency show up? Oh, it, it shows up in my level of self-esteem. Um, my ability to, you know, um, show up as who I am, um, my ability, you know, to be vulnerable and to be my authentic self. And, you know, that means that when I am in a romantic relationship, um, I'm anxious and, you know, I'm constantly questioning, you know, is this, is this right? Is this, this, um, and, you know, by sort of putting out there a victim card, you sort of pull them in a little bit right? Because that's what you want. You want them to, to be there, but that level of anxiety isn't good for anybody. Um, I also find that one of the big things I do is I take people who are there. I don't actually stop and say to myself, is this the person I want to be with? Does yeah. this person match me? Is this person someone who I can support and who can support me? I basically just take whatever's there. And, I, you know, because again, the, I'm not worthy. Hmm. It has manipulated all aspects of my romantic life. It's interesting that for me, raising children it didn't because I actively made the decision that they were separate individuals from myself. Um, and that was, again, that was a, a process. Um, but that's why I'm single is I, I know for me that I'm not in a place yet where I can be separate from somebody and allow them to grow and allow myself to grow and, and just sort of move forward with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there's an aspect of the, my life that this hasn't touched. Wow. How about you? Do you find the same or do you find that it's just more in your romantic attachments? Um, it's okay.
Take your time. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion stirring. There's a lot of fear stirring about sharing this information publicly. But I, I think there's just so much more value to sharing it publicly than there is to be rooted in fear. So I think I need to push forward. But, um, okay. you know, I, in the last while, I've been quite confused about this stuff. And this is a pretty, a, a pretty recent finding around this playing the victim card to get my needs met. And um what I didn't realize was when I played the victim card, I was perpetuating the same anxiety and pain that was needing me to use the victim card in the first place. I was staying stuck. The victim is what makes me feel anxious and insecure, but yet it's the area I'm trying to get my needs met. So if I stop playing the victim card, I rise up out of the victim role. I stand in my power and I'm able to start giving and taking space in the relationship to make me feel safe. With each boundary that I set in my relationship, the safer I feel. But yet I've been tricked in, in my conditioning to think that each boundary that I set pushes somebody further away or creates disconnection from people. But it's actually the opposite, right? And I, I, when I set a boundary, I get connected to in, in the way that I need to be connected to. So boundaries have actually taught me how to teach other people how to show up for me. And to meet the needs that that should be met in a, in, a, in a relational dynamic and the ones that shouldn't be met, I'm learning how to meet for myself. And so codependency for me shows up in having insecurity in my relationship, um, worrying that my partner is going to find somebody better than me, um, worrying that I'm not enough for my partner, worrying that my connection with my partner will, will somehow become less than the connection, a connection that he has with somebody else. Um, it's all about um, insecurity. It's all about insecurity. And um, that's, that plays into the insecure attachment. The anxious attachment style is constantly preoccupied with other because self doesn't feel worthy or good enough to be attached to because we're it's the it's the work so i've done so much work in this area for probably the last seven years like i'm talking like wow amounts of work like holy <laughs> crap okay going yeah. to, going into the pits of my being to find a you know to, to get to this stuff and i've made some some major strides and then this relationship that i'm currently in is bringing up some old debris and um I don't want to talk too much about the, the, the actual dynamic because I want to respect his anonymity because I feel like that's really important to, to, to protect that for him. Um, and I'll just share about my own experience, but, um, it's for me, it's, it's been, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm finally at a place where I'm ready to take the steps to stop engaging in the same conditioning and patterning that I've been playing out for the last, you know, well, for my whole life. Okay. And it's really cool because in the last few weeks I've been, I've been doing it and it's been completely transforming me and my relationship. And the amount of intimacy that is, is now possible is just astronomical. I've never experienced this with anybody else in my life. And it's all because I'm setting boundaries and because I'm creating space, all the things that I was fearful to do because I thought it was going to create disconnection. Yeah, and, and it, it, it doesn't. And I was just going to say with the whole um, 
the, the vulnerability that, you know, you're afraid that they're going to go off and meet somebody else. And you're afraid of, you know, and, and there's a couple things because what happens is, is number one, you can't even be present in that relationship anymore. And, you know, even sexually, you can't properly connect because you're putting on, for lack of a better word, a show. Exactly. And yeah. you, because you can't do that. And it's, it's difficult to, you know, these are patterns that you put into place and I put into place to safeguard ourselves. So I think we have to honor that our psyches and we have been amazing human beings and that we got where we are. And now we're in a place where we can change those patterns. Yeah. Right. And that it is in itself, it's a journey. So um, for instance, with you, with getting into a relationship, these are amazing growths, but don't be surprised if you take a step forward and then you take a little bit of a step back and you go, Oh, wait a minute, you know, and then you take a step because it's, it's not a destination. Exactly. Right. And, and none of it is wrong. All of it is part of who you are and who, you know, and the, the partner you're with. I mean, the fact that you are in a place where you feel safe in that dynamic to open up and express yourself and express your needs and say, I need to set boundaries. This is what they look like. I'm really uncomfortable with them, but this is what I need to do. Yeah. It's a wonderful gift. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that reflection. <laughs> I'm learning that. And, you know, it's so exposing doing this work because it's like having to tell somebody that you're playing a victim role with that is attached all of our ego. Ego is completely attached to that. So you have to show your partner all of the sick and toxic ways that you're that you're playing out manipulation or malicious behavior to to get your needs met. And I had to get really real with myself um, in the last few weeks around some of these behaviors. And wow, it was so liberating, but it was also the scariest conversation I've ever had in my life. I was terrified and I'm a very good communicator. I'm very vulnerable, but this was a whole other level of vulnerability. And, you know, it was received with love and it also was inspiring for my partner because it was, it allowed him to, um, see the power of self-exposure and and he's now also stepping into that for himself where he feels safer because we kind of set this new edge in our relationship we push the edge further back so we, we have more space to to occupy and show up in our authentic selves and yeah. wow it, so yeah. powerful it really is it like it, it is it's mind-blowing um but also keep in mind that like whether you guys are together forever, whether it's, you know, for whatever time frame, the learning, I think that's what I would want our audience to understand is that, you know, this learning is the key. And, you know, no matter what happens, you come away, both of you come away in a better place, yeah. right? Because, yeah. you know, opposed to when you're really in that code dependent dynamic where it just eventually implodes or explodes and it nothing's healthy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you have to feel alone physically, yeah. you know, you're, he knows that's, that's a vulnerability for you and you can say, this is going to be hard for me. How do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and do the same. And it's, it's amazing what that open dialogue is going to bring for the two of you moving forward. It's yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's so powerful because we've been playing with things. Um, we've been playing with space intentionally and asking for space. And even if we don't want it, we, you know, and then how the other person shows up, we've been giving each other opportunities to practice these things. And it's been so, so important. So I think for me, my attachment style was so activated in my previous relationship because I wasn't dating conscious people. And I don't mean that as a disrespect to them, but they weren't doing the same conscious level of consciousness work that I've been doing to a place where they can communicate some of the this stuff and, and talk about it. And I need that. I, I've realized that as a, as an anxiously attached man, I need a lot of communication in my relationship because it's how I, um, it's how I feel reassured. It's how I feel safe. It's how I feel like I can set boundaries and also protect my, my space and say that I need this in order to feel like I can maintain my sense of self in this relationship. Cause as soon yeah. as my sense of self is threatened in a relationship, it throws me off. Yeah. 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 Right? And I think you need to look too. And I had to look at for me was, is the whole, the level of communication It is, you know, the fact that it can move from verbal to nonverbal, right. So that you can get to a point where you can look across the room at him and sort of give him that look that says I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he just knows or vice versa. He's looking at you, you know, and you know that he's having that same thing. So, yeah. you know, or if you're feeling anxious that, you know, he's over there talking with somebody else and you give him that look, you know, the same thing. He just comes over and stands with you. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that yeah. you feel reassured and, and can grow from that. And it's it's that helping to meet each other's needs. Right. Yeah. I think where your partners in the past were, they matched you where you were. Yeah. Right? Yeah now we're up here yeah right yeah. which is like yeah each time is mind-blowing right and which is yeah i'm so happy for you yeah yeah thanks <laughs> i feel like i've leveled up in my relating game uh, majorly in the last um well just even in the last year a ton of shadow work i did a ton of shadow work in asia and i've done a ton of shadow work since being back in canada as well and integrating shadows and working with ego and all these things they're really transformative and yeah. uh learning how to feel my feelings like i thought i was a good feeler but you know it's funny what i was doing is i was bypassing i was spiritually bypassing a lot of my feelings and i was i was thinking my feelings not feeling them and that's a big difference intellect intellectualization of feelings is not feeling your feelings no. And <laughs> I actually had to come to that realization and start with, I started doing yin yoga Yeah, and I, the one day I got into a pose and I was like, do, 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 you know, and I got into the pose and then all of a sudden I had this feeling that came way up and I just started crying Yeah, <laughs> and it was there. like, whoa, you know, and it's, it's all this stuff is trapped in the body. It's all, you know, and, and that's why, again, it's important to, you know, be healthy and keep moving and keep, you know, doing all that. And again, looking at, you know, how you relate to your partner and, and people in your life that, you know, you could have that codependency with and, and looking at how you're communicate, communicating yeah. through body language and all of that kind of stuff. I think that's, you know, and, and being aware of how you feel in that moment. Yeah. Um, it's hard stuff. It's, I yeah. mean, I think we're right now, I would say we're running to where I was like crawling even like two years ago. Um, because for me, my worst fear as a codependent happened. And that is, I got a text message from my fiance of five years that that was it. He was moving out. And 
when you haven't had a fight, you haven't done anything, like nothing's gone on, you know, you're sort of in this place of, and so my, my immediately go, my go-to was, is I'm not going to be okay. I'm, I'm not going to be okay. Um, and what was amazing was, is all this work I was doing caught up and that voice inside said, yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and, and that's when I started really looking at how was I relating to him? What was, what was I doing not to ask for my needs to be met? Mm. Right. And I realized how unhappy I was in that relationship. And I realized that, you know, I was not doing what I needed to do by saying, I need this. This is what I need in the relationship yeah. and just trying to focus on what would make him happy. Yeah. Um, so I think that this whole toxicity, it just, it grabs every part of it. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to look at it, you know, that there's different levels of, of toxic or, you know, um, codependent relationships. And you can get sort of that people who are in very toxic co-dependent relationships that they really need to leave. It's not, it's, it's both playing victim or, you know, doing these things. And we need to, you know, they need to really step back and assess how do I feel in this relationship? What's going on? Can this change? Yeah. Right. Um, because again, if you're both coming into it, you know, basically, I don't want to say the word, you know, harmed or, or, you know, to grow from it would be very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, but if you're both aware and moving forward, then I think that's it. So I think some of our listeners should sort of, if they're looking at this from the perspective of themselves or a friend, they need to assess, is this abuse? Or is this a um, sort of a codependent relationship? And I would say what we are describing personally is is these are this is codependency. This Definitely, is not yeah. yeah, this is not any sort of an abuse that's going on. We're yeah. you know we were safe in those dynamics. We were just we were dysfunctional. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know it's up to us to grow. Yeah, yeah, and it it really plays out for me that I wanted my partners to do the work that I wasn't willing to do myself which was to, to be there for me. Yeah. Right. Like you can't, somebody can't hold space for you any deeper than you're holding space for yourself. It's impossible. It's energetically impossible. So yeah. when, as I started to learn to hold space for myself, I started to attract and that's what I have now. I have a man in my life right now that is holding space for me because I'm holding space for myself. The other men that I've dated are, they're all great men, but I wasn't holding space for myself. So they couldn't hold space for me and they yeah. weren't holding space for themselves. So I couldn't hold space for them. It was simply a matter of spaciousness and, and not feeling whole in my experience of myself. And I was, I acted out, I acted out as a way to feel whole by using the other person to try and fit, fit my puzzle piece. And I, you can't do that. No one can, no one can complete your puzzle, well, but you No, but I think that the thing is, is when we're in that stage where we're wanting them to, to basically fix us, um, is that we will not allow them in enough to know what's actually needing fixing. You can't be, you know, made whole by someone else if they don't know what parts that need to be touched are. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the quandary of all of this is that it is a maladaptive coping mechanism, just yeah. like any other, you know, substance use or, you know, like anything else. And, and it got us through, but now we have to sort of say, 
what do I need to be the best version of myself? What do I need to feel whole? What can I offer somebody? How can I, how, how much space do I have for them? Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's difficult. It's, you know, like, and when you're feeling that the inside your, your center core self is dirty or shameful or toxic due to anything due to abuse due to, you know, um, um, attachment styles due to your sexual orientation due to whatever, it makes it even more, you know, difficult to open that up because it's admitting it. It's sharing something about yourself that you feel is the most ugly thing on the planet. And so the, the fear of being rejected by them is worse than anything you could ever imagine. Right. But I think that that's part of that narrative we've written for ourselves. And I think like you're showing that you can show that to your partner Yeah, and say to him, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I don't like this about myself and I'm working on it. I need your help, but this is how I hold space for you because you have meaning to me. Yeah, And, you know, and like, you know, and that's what you have to just, it's being vulnerable. It's, you know, and I think you're so brave today to share, share where you're coming from, because it's, it's difficult, especially from the perspective of a male. I mean, I think men have, there's, there's just a whole stigma for men around not sharing and, you know, keeping things bottled and, you know, all of that. And so think it's it's brave yeah thank you and I think another male thing that we pick up is that we don't want to share that we care too much because that's too sensitive that's too vulnerable that's too intimate do you know what I mean and it's like yeah. I'm, I've let that story go a long time ago I don't play into that story anymore because that's a part of the, the conditioning that we are taught as men is to play aloof play like you know that you don't you don't really care about being hurt or about any of these things and that doesn't get you anywhere no and and I think women we are programmed um to again to play the role of you know martyr and that our needs don't matter and you know all that kind of stuff and and that plays into this as well because you know it's it just continues that I'm not as important as my partner is yeah right I want to touch on this because this is important and I think we're talking if we're talking about a heterosexual dynamic it plays out it it, it plays out perfectly but it, it does play out in um in homosexual dynamics as well. And that's, that's the dynamic that I'm in, which is the victim and the saver. And you talk about, we talk about the man being typically being the saver, the woman being the martyr or the victim. And it's so fascinating how this plays out because the victim will try and um, create pain or create drama or create some sort of issue, create conflict. We'll say that well, the, the victim is trying to create conflict so they can get connection. And the saver is trying to create problems to fix because they feel connected to or they feel appreciated or loved when they have something to to save so it's it becomes this dynamic of you need to be fixed and I've played both roles I've played the saver and I've played the victim and this is the classic codependency um, role and then what I'm finding now is it's like you know, I'm such an extremist in my thinking and I'm so like an all or nothing kind of person and I'm, I'm really working on this, but I'm like, okay, so if I've done this victim thing for so long, what does that mean when I actually need to ask for help? And I'm actually feeling like I need to ask for help. And what I'm distinguishing between the, the two is one is rooted in fear and, and manipulation. One is rooted in, in love. You're, you're loving yourself. So you're okay. saying, I need you 
to love me and I'm also loving me, right? Come with me in this emotional experience and join me because I'm taking accountability for my emotions right now. The victim doesn't take accountability for his emotions. He blames other people for them. So the accountability is a big factor in distinguishing because I don't want to play out the dynamic where I can't ask my partner for help because that's not necessarily just the only quality of being a victim. Asking for help is also the quality of a really strong person that's standing in their own power and their own integrity. And the same with the, with, with the saver is it's like, do they need to become callous to the point where they can't help their partner because they're worried about becoming um, a meshed or codependent. And I read a blog recently by, by Mark Manson. And he, he said that, you know, that you're playing out the codependent patterning. If when you remove that, that um, need for help or the need to fix and you're, you're not okay. If you remove it, you're okay because it means that you're still rooted in your own love for yourself. So therefore, I don't need my partner to come in and rescue me from my emotions because I can do that for myself. So if I'm if I if I if I remove it and I'm I'm caught in a fear entanglement, it means that I'm being codependent. But if I remove it and I can sit with self and allow allow myself to process my own emotions, that means I'm rooted in love. So it's kind of like a litmus test of where you're at in your codependent patterning. That's a really, actually a really good one. And, and um, I had a girlfriend and she, that it was exactly, she was the victim. Um, I was the saver and I very, that was a dynamic that, um, yeah, it was just toxic. And I was lucky enough that I could see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, it was definitely, yeah, I was amazed at how, how deep, she, she definitely was with, with, you know, everything, everybody needed to help her. It was, everything was, you know, like happened to her because of, and, um, it was, it was definitely one that, um, it was difficult. And, and I, at the time thought, you know, how do I sort of balance and figure out when she needs something from me as, you know, at, well, at that point playing the saver, but still like, when does she actually need something from me? And when am I just sort of like running around trying to put out her little fires, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and I, I agree. That's a very, a very good, uh, you know, it's, it's a very difficult one. Um, and I think that irrespective of whether it's a, female, male, female, female, male, male, you know, um, any of any, it's genderless. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a sexuality necessarily based thing. It's us as individuals coming into this. I think our experiences definitely, you know, as, as bi or as, as, you know, trans or, you know, whoever um, definitely influences how we, how we do this, but it's, I think it's a, there's, there's a, a codependency is such a universal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's just, it's, it's, it's not fun at all. And we just have to take our time and, you know, yeah. work through it. And I, that's why for me, staying single and getting to a place where I'm not feeling that I feel I can be open and vulnerable. Um, and, and, you know, that part, I'm still not there yet. Um, I'm becoming more vulnerable with myself. I don't know that I am ready to trust somebody. And I think that it would be, you know, irresponsible yeah. to, to be in a relationship because I would be perpetuating 
the codependency. Yeah. That's good awareness. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard though. I mean, and you went through the same thing, taking time off from any kind of relationship to, to assess where you were and assess what you wanted and assess how you would be. Right. And, and I think you're better off for that as well. Yeah. I, I, um, I took two years off of, off of, after a really, really painful relationship. And I also didn't have sex for 11 months. (laughs) It's the longest I've gone without sex in my adult life. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was uh, it was really good though for me to have that experience because it allowed me to to change my relationship with my sexual nature as well, which really needed to happen because I was actually morphing into more of a demisexual and I wasn't honoring my body. And mm. I am now like, holy shit, like my my capacity for for intimacy and 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 being a good lover in the bedroom is like it's crazy like um because i i cultivated a new way of relating sexually that i didn't have before and it's it's now um paying me back so yeah i definitely spent 11 months um in celibacy but it it gave me it gave me a lot of value so it does i think it does give a lot of value because it's sort of like a reset yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that it, it um, it's leading both of us and you're already there, but to um, be on, uh, more authentic in that, yeah. in that capacity and, you know, be able to, to have that. And, and I think that's also a little bit of a litmus test as well to knowing how we are um, as far as, you know, our codependency is, is, you know, how are we sexually with our, our partners? Are we able to be intimate? Are we putting on a show? Are we, you know, just using them for their bodies or whatever and, Mm -hmm. and being able to, and again, it, none of them are wrong, Yeah. but it's naming it because it has to be fair to the other person. Right. Yeah. That that, I'm just thinking of some of the sex that I've had in my life that when I was anxiously attached (laughs) and you know, when you're not getting it, you, when you don't have the closeness and then you finally get it, it's like the drug and you get the sex and you get the drug of connection that you've been yearning for. And it's like, it makes for really passionate, like wild sex. But then after you, you, you're going back into the fear cycle again, and it's just not actually love. It's not connection. It's just like a drug. It's, it's lust. And, it is. Um, and you get that high and then that coming off of it is just horrific. So you're looking for the next, next person. And yeah. again, like, if that's the cycle you want as a person, the, the, no judgment. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for, for me as a, as a human being, I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You get older and you're like, I don't want that anymore. I want yeah. to be, you know, with somebody and have that level of intimacy. And I think that if you're a codependent, you're manipulating the dynamic and, you know, you're never going to be able to truly have intimacy because you're never going to show your true self. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, actually we're so you're saying it's, I, I just love you. We're, you're like my soul sister. Cause every time I want to bring in a new concept, you segue it perfectly. It's like, it's amazing. Um, and, and being your true self and this ties into toxic shame. That is the number one reason we aren't our true selves in my opinion. And I want to maybe put the bow on the problem by talking about, um, toxic shame. And then we can start moving into the solution, which will be boundaries and space and, and that, those sorts of things. So what's, what's, um, what do you have to say about toxic shame and how this bleeds into all this? Oh, toxic shame um, for how I perceive it in my life and, and everything is, is it's something that takes root in childhood 
um, at some point uh, before you really have, you know, cognitive reasoning and, and all that kind of stuff. And then it just sits there and it gives you this narrative that keeps you there. Um, and the problem is, is that we take it as the truth. And if we actually could break it down and look at it and say to ourselves, is this true? You know, write it down, say it out loud, say it to your lover and say, is this true about me? Mm-hmm. They would turn around and say, uh, no. Um, I think that that's where it takes root and that's how it grows. And because we keep it in secrecy and the darkness and, you know, and it's reinforced by society, such as, you know, if, if you're, if you're not, you know, basically cisgendered, you know, straight, everything else that plays into, you know, the shame of, of, of your sexuality. If you're, um, you know, if, if you are trans in any, any, again, any kind of sexual spectrum or or gender spectrum, again, that plays into it because, you know, society is saying that you can be this or you can be this and it's predetermined. Um, I think this is why, you know, it, it just grows and it just like, it just sits there and grows and grows and grows. And we become so afraid of it because it's sort of like the monster under our bed that our shame of that monster becomes toxic to our lives because it will not allow us to live properly. It's mm. interfering with our relationships. It's interfering. Hey, you can't move the bed, right? Cause yeah. the, the monster's down there. Um, so that's to me, the, that's where that lives, no matter what you, what, what name you want to call it by that's, that's where it lives. Um, and at the end of the day, these are flawed messages. Mm. These are, these are toxic and they're flawed. And they, the fact that we keep it in secrecy is what perpetuates it. And that's why I think you saying things openly and being honest about things is so wonderful because it's, it's removing that layer right for people it's it's allowing more conversations it's allowing you know um but which is wonderful yeah yeah thank you for sharing that i i'm trying to relate my experience with toxic shame to this and um you know it's it's fascinating what toxic shame has done in my life and the amount of of havoc it's wreaked in my life it is the it is why i do what i do yeah. <laughs> the top of my instagram heal shame that's the first thing cuz that's my purpose is to heal my own shame and and help help people heal theirs and toxic shame shows up in my relationships by focusing on my partner's flaws instead of my own and mm-hmm. my barrier to having to sit with my toxic shame is my ego. My ego prevents me from, from sitting with my, so my ego makes my partner's flaws more apparent than my own. And that's part of the victim thing is I'm not taking accountability for my own flaws, my own shortcomings. And um, so, yeah, it, it, that's, that's kind of for me how toxic shame has impacted my relating Yeah, is it's created separation between me and my partners. And you and yourself and me and myself big time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good. Yeah. Point. I, um, yeah, I really, I, I really resonate with that. Um, it, it, I think when ta- when you become aware of toxic shame in your life and that it's 
impacting your health. It's impacting your relationships. Um, it's impacting every aspect of it. And you become aware of that. Um, you do, you, I find I become on a mission because it's sort of that, no, I don't want this. I want to be able to, you know, be who I am, be out, be, you know, vocal, be, you know, what I am and, and that, um, but you're still on the healing process, but you still, you know, you're working towards being able to be healed and have authentic relationships and, you know, do different, like just anything, be able to just communicate openly and not hide. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Like, you know, um, cause that's huge. I think, were you aware of the source of your toxic shame, um, early on, or did it take you a while to figure out and sort of name what it was? Well, the, the most apparent one is being gay in a heteronormative culture, right? That's one of them. Um, but I don't think it was just that. I think for me, it was also being highly emotional, highly sensitive, being a highly sensitive person was really, really challenging for me. Um, I had, a, I carried a lot of shame around being that way because I saw other little boys, they weren't like me. They were just, yeah, they just weren't like me. And then they also weren't like me in the sense of being gay. So I just really internalized a lot of messages around being different isn't okay. And I have to try my best to change who I am to fit in. And that's, you know, why do you think my purpose now is inspired to be authentic? I'm like running yeah. my pitchfork being like, be authentic, be authentic, because I lived my life not being authentic. And I know that the ramifications that had on me and I know and have tasted the liberation of, of practicing authentic relating and holy, like my life has changed big time. And I, I don't mean like it's changed and it's all beautiful. Like authentic relating comes with some nastiness as well. You get to show up and be sh in shadow with people and you get reflected back to you those ugly parts that you've been hiding in yourself because people are showing up authentically. So that's why people don't do the work because they don't want to be reflected the mirroring of their shame. No, we, I think people generally, they, it, it being numb is easier. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, it's people like ourselves or people that actually do this work and, and, and work hard out in our communities to, you know, sort of to bring the message that we can live without these, this shame. And, you know, you can move forward, you can get help with, I mean, in a whole variety of ways, but yeah. you know, it's out there and we can keep striving to, you know, to, to sort of get there yeah. and that it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I know it's, I think being a sensitive guy is difficult. I think that um, being a more like kind of woman would is difficult as well. Yes, For me, yeah. that's definitely more of a, of a, of a guard that I, that I use. But yeah. um, I think that, yeah, I think it is, it's definitely, but it's neat how our shame and our dysfunction or what we perceived as our dysfunction has brought us to such amazing places. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. My suffering is my key to my liberation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know. There's no other way around it. Sorry, no, folks. You got to walk through the fire. You got to walk through the fire. Yeah. You got to work, walk through the fire. And, and I think that's the thing is, is um, I've read a few books on, uh, on, on the whole thing about um, even the, not the concentration camps and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and the, the survival, um, techniques and stuff. And I thought, you know what, these are things that as survivors of toxic shame, survivors of, you know, all these different things that 
we've implemented in our lives without even knowing it. Yeah. So I think that that although this is, I mean, codependency is horrible. Uh, it's something we have to keep working on. I think we need to really honor um, that we've come to where we are, that we're facing it, that we're naming it, and that we're being open and honest about it. And yeah. that it's going to, as long as we keep sort of taking a step forward in our path, that we're, it's awesome. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, and I think too, that the fact of reaching out, if you're feeling overwhelmed in a dynamic or whatever, um, reach out to your friends, reach out to people you, you feel are safe, reach out to whoever, even if it's just to talk it through, yeah. you know, yeah. um, because some of the stuff you need to verbalize and you need to have someone say, you're okay. Yeah. You're doing a great job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Well, it's so funny because I've been doing this work for, with people too, um, in my coaching and my counseling, I've been, I've literally guided people to secure attachment in my own coaching, but yet it's something that I was neglecting in myself. And that's classic codependency, right? It's like yeah. make everybody else's feelings more important than your own. So it's just, it's so cool now that I'm like, it's my turn, my turn to focus on me. So it is absolutely. Um, okay. So I want to put a bow on the problem. And I want to start focusing on the solution because that is my MO. That's what I'm always, I'm, I like to focus on solutions because I think that's where we also can really learn a lot about ourselves. And um, so boundaries, we've identified that boundaries are the solution to codependency. Uh, obviously there's a few other things in there as well, but we want to really focus on the boundaries. Yeah. So let's maybe start by just defining what is a boundary. So the audience can kind of get a clear sense on what that is. Uh, for me, a boundary can very easily be said to be limits on relationships, okay. any relationship. Mm -hmm. um, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a barrier, a limit, um, a line in the sand that says, this is where I am. So um, a really, and this is going to be a horrible example. And I do apologize <laughs> is, is that I said, I love my children, but my limit would be if they got arrested for something and put in jail, not that this has ever happened, but that they are staying there until <laughs> they can figure out how they're getting out. So that is, I mean, that's an extreme example of a, of, of a boundary, but that would be that boundary. Um, it could be something like, I'm not going to have drugs in my home. Yeah. Um, it could be something around, you know, um, when I say that I'm busy, um, don't call that that's, you know, obeyed. Um, or listen to or obeyed sounds a little, um, but that kind of stuff. It's, it's putting limitations on things. And we put limitations on a lot of stuff in our lives. Um, we put a limitation on how much we're going to spend on our car, how we you know all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But as codependents, we have a very hard time saying, when you call me at 11 o'clock at night, I am not obligated to get up and go to you because you're upset. Yeah, yeah. I get up the next day. I yeah. love you, but I need to have a good night's sleep. I yeah. mute my phone. Yeah. If there's yeah. an occasion where you know you're going out and you want to ride or whatever, I mean that's negotiated in advance. Yeah, but it's it's limitations around what you will allow and not allow um, in your life. Yeah, me, yeah. Okay. I had to start. So as far as moving forward into ways you can help yourself is identify in your relationships, 
where you are going further for them than they would go for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they ask you t- for money for groceries, um, ask yourself, would they, if you ask them, would they do this for you? Right. So that's a pretty good indicator there. So that could be a limit of, I, I don't loan you more than $10 a month or, you know, so depending on what your boundary issues in the relationships are obviously some relationships you need very firm boundaries of, you know, you don't come to my house after this time or, Mm -hmm. you know, blah, 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 blah. It could be, you know, sort of, I call it like the, the safe work um, in the bedroom, right? Like it's, that's the barrier. That's your, your hardcore. No. Yeah. 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 But, but identifying those and starting to say like, you know, not okay with me. Um, one that I had was, is, um, in the past was, is I need one meal per week, just the two of us. That's nice. Yeah. Right. So that was like that, you know, and again, that's, that's a boundary for my relationship to grow and nurture. This is what it needs. This is what I need for that to happen. I need for you to hug me when you get home. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and cause we think, again, we think of them as negative, but they can be positive too. Right. And so looking and making sure that it's back and forth is the same. And it's something that doesn't interfere with your ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very thorough definition. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. Um, No, it's good. It's good. The more meat, the better, right? People can dissect it. Well, it's difficult. I think we, we kind of, we go along in this whole chasing people and, and, you know, trying to do those things. And, and sometimes we need, you know, to really identify where we're going and, and it goes both ways. If, if you say, I want one meal a week, then you need to give that. If you say, don't call me, I'm going to be busy from this time to this time, you know, doing whatever, then they have the right for that same boundary as well. Yeah. You know, it goes both ways. <clears throat> So that way, when you're dealing with people who are on either side of that spectrum, it's going to create some boundaries and you can assess and look at things. And, and again, you may say to your partner, I feel really anxious when this is going on. Can we do this instead? Yeah. Right. That yeah. Kind of thing, right. Like for me, if my kids just suddenly stopped messaging and I was messaging them for two, three days and didn't get anything. Uh, that would be an anxiety provoking thing for me. But if they messaged me and said, Hey, I'm going to be offline for a couple of days. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's that respect and that, but it's, it's establishing a boundary. Yeah. What about you? What boundaries have you found helpful? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll define what a boundary is to me. Uh, it's very similar to yours, but I, f- I like to use a lot of analogies or metaphors. And I think what, it, when I think of setting boundaries, I'm thinking of putting walls around myself, but those walls have a door. And I think when we put walls around ourselves and we don't have a door, that means we're being guarded and we're, we're not wanting to be vulnerable. And, um, so when we put that door there, we're showing people that this is how you enter if you want to have an experience with me, right? And I need you to enter through that door. And so basically what that door is doing is it's teaching people how you need to be treated in order for you to have a positive experience with them. And we're all entitled to have positive experiences with people and to be able to cultivate those experiences by bringing in um, ways that we, that we need in order to have our needs met. Um, So When I think of boundaries, I think of 
um, ways that I need to communicate. Communication is huge when it, we're talking about boundaries. You're communicating to your partner what you need in order for the container of the relationship to be a safe place for you to land. And that's a big part of this for me is this, this world can be a big, scary place. And I need to know that my relationship is a safe haven, that I can come home and I can land in, this, in the, the safety of our relationship and I can feel held. And I can feel like I can be myself 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly. When you're dating me, my shadow and my light both get a seat at the table. <laughs> and Matt can, Matt, can, Matt can be nasty. And Matt's going to be nasty sometimes. And, and that's, that has to be. Um, but I need to also be mindful that I need to take responsibility for my nastiness. And I can't just project it onto my partner. Um, Yes. So yeah, it's it's that, that those are kind of just some of the things. And there's lots of 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 things that come up for me around boundaries and what I need. Um, but I think I think what I'm what I'm learning right now is how to use boundaries as a way to create space, because my my initial instinct is to want to cr- create so much closeness because I want to keep an eye on my partner because there's a lack of trust or there's insecurity. And so what I'm learning is I'm learning that with each boundary that I set, I'm actually standing in my own power. And when I'm in my own power, when he requests space and I'm in my power, I can handle it. But if I'm not in my power, I feel like I can't. So it's just, it's inevitable. You have to set boundaries because then you're standing in your power. And, um, so this is a big learning for me. Um, I'm really, really effective with boundaries when it comes to people in my life, but my intimate relationship is where I tend to be softer with my boundaries and I yeah. let my boundaries slide and I, I, um, I let my partner in on some things that maybe I don't want them to be involved in because I want closeness, but yet I also want autonomy. So it's really about getting in. And, you know, since I've developed a relationship with my body, that's when I've really started to be more rooted in being able to set boundaries because my body is always communicating to me what I need. Whereas my mind can be rooted in fear so easily. And and then it can trick me that this is actually what I want. So I don't listen to my mind. When I'm, when I'm assessing a situation, I listen to my body and my body's always telling me, okay, proceed or don't go because that doesn't feel right for you. And that's helped me actually become a good lover intimately as well, because I now can communicate to my partner what I need and what I don't, that doesn't feel good for me, please don't do that. You know what I mean? And I can also have the courage enough to speak up and say, what do you need? How do you need me to touch your body? So it feels good for you. Right. So when I set those boundaries and I'm getting my sexual needs met, I'm also able to show up and meet it for them. Because if I'm betraying my body and allowing them to do whatever I want, but yet they set a boundary with me, mm-hmm. I get triggered by that because I'm going, wait a minute, I'm sacrificing my boundaries for you, but yet you're going to hold them up for me. Uh uh-uh, uh. Right. And then that activates my anxious attachment or my victimhood or whatever. So it's just about being really consistent consistency, I think is key for boundaries as well, making sure that you're upholding them. Because if people can slide in and betray your boundaries, and you allow them every other time, you're not really teaching them how to treat you, you're teaching them how to treat you 50% of the time. And then that leaves 50% of the time open for how they want to treat you. Exactly. But it also leads to a lot of um, internalized anger. Yes. um, And frustration that you're then going to take out on that person. Because 
you have gone again, that spectrum, you've gone this far, you've compromised how you feel. Yeah. You know, and that's now you're going to be angry that they haven't and that they've, you know, done this. And so again, it's that whole codependency cycle that just, you know, and I agree that's where the, the, the boundaries will assist in stopping that cycle. And then you can really start the work of looking at what do I need in this relationship? You know, how can I communicate that? What, what do I bring that I need to be really working on? And, you know, yeah. as far as shame and, and all that kind of stuff, because that's the driving force behind this, right? Yeah. How do we know if we're, if our boundaries are appropriate or not? Like, cause what if, what, like, for, I'll give you an example. Like, what if I was like, I need to have 21 dinners with you a week, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I need every meal to be with you. That's not a reasonable boundary, right? So how do we that's know not. when, and that's not an extreme example, obviously, but there can, there's a fine line between like, I'm in my anxious attachment and I'm in fear and I'm trying to control you or the situation. So then I can get my need for safety met because I'm not meeting it for myself. So right. how, how do we know when we're, our boundaries are realistic or not? So what I do personally um, that I can speak to is, is I look at, you know, I, so I've also, if I'm going to set a boundary, I'm sort of like, I put one down and then I kind of assess it. If it's okay, I could look at what other couples do or say. Um, and I think one of the big things is talking to your partner and saying, I like having my meals with you. I really do. What would be realistic for you on the, the high end? And what would be realistic for you on the low end of us being, you know, able to do this. And maybe what it is, is they sat down and they work shift work or something and they say, okay, I can do, you know, two dinners with you this week. I can do, you know, three dinners with you this week. I can do one with you this week, you know, um, or, or being creative about it. Because I think what it comes down to in this is if you're trying to have an open and honest relationship and, and state what your needs are and have boundaries is you need to be open with that person mm -hmm. to say, this is what I need. And I think that there is, there is ones such as time and, and that, that are going to, you know, oscillate, like for instance, myself being, you know, a student of forever, um, you know, obviously I, you know, I can give you a coffee, but then there's times where I'll have two weeks of freedom and then it's like, okay, well, why don't we plan to go away? So those kinds of things, you can look at it on a bit of a spectrum. Um, but I think at the end of the day, looking around you and asking people, yeah, asking, feeling it through, how does it feel to you? What are, you know, and even before you get into a relationship, look at what are, what is important to you in the relationship? What will you need in a relationship? And what is like, like your no goes like your, you know, um, so that you will have your no go limits, right? Your no go yeah. limits would be you hit me, you hit my children, you hit whatever you're irresponsible with my feelings. Boom. It's done. Right. Yeah. Um, that kind of like, you know, you have your absolute boundaries and then you have ones where it's like, okay, I'm good in this range. Yeah. Right. And so again, like if you're, I need to have the night, I'm not going to be returning calls because I'm on my phone, please don't message me, you know, that kind of thing, then that's a boundary. But if the person did that every night, yeah, you know, and that's when you would have to say to them, do you realize you're doing this every night? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and have that dialogue. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I think that's wise.
Yeah, it's hard. Um, ben and I just had our boundary conversation um, last week. And it was a really intense conversation, but it was really beautiful. I felt so safe after and not safe because of, of him, safe because of me. I spoke my truth and I let him know what I needed. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm on top of the world right now. And how, how we did it, I'm not going to share too much intimate details because it's obviously, again, it's the anonymity, but um, I want to just tell people how I structured it because if, if our audience is listening and they think it's important to, to share that uh, or to do that with their partner, I want to. So basically I started about talking about my personal boundaries. These are things that I need him to do in order for me to feel safe. So, right. I don't want him having sex with other guys or whatever that might be. We had a whole list of, of things that were my personal boundaries uh, for his conduct. And, um, and then my, the second one was our, our codependency boundaries. So things that we need to make sure that we're doing so we can maintain our separate sense of self and, and our in, independence in the relationship. Um, so we had those. And then the last thing we had was um, how our ego tries to sabotage these boundaries, right? So playing the victim role, playing the saver role, playing this, playing that, all those things. And we really got fucking real it was it was a hard conversation to have around like owning that part of yourself because it's like wow I felt so exposed like I literally felt like I was standing on a stage of a million people and I was there naked and um but being witnessed in that is a whole other level of healing because it's like you know he saw my ego monster and he still wants to love me and he's he actually said after he's like I actually feel like I'm more in love with you in this moment because he was he my vulnerability was so powerful right and so there is reward there is reward on the other side of you speaking your truth and setting your boundaries and I think that's what I want people to know yeah and I think that right there is exactly the whole the 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 toxic shame that we keep bottled up because it's not an actual thing that is you know, that we need to be shameful of, but it guides our life. When you exposed that and he saw, you know, the, the, the driving force behind this, he confirmed that you're lovable. Yeah, yeah. That your sensitivity, your, you know, everything is awesome. And that he loves the way you are and mm-hmm. wouldn't want it any other way. And that right there is like, turning the lights on to that toxic shame and saying now it's not gone in one you know but that shrinks it down and helps you become mm. you know more open and more honest and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so you're awesome man yeah. you're on a roll this is- i know i know yeah it's felt <laughs> it's felt pretty good it's felt pretty good um there's one concept that I was thinking about, and I think now's a good time to integrate it. And it's about reparenting. I've had some really interesting experiences in the last uh, while as I've healed the things that are contributing to my codependency, as I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, is feeling alone, feeling all alone, and I can't cope, and I'm not getting emotionally validated in my experiences. So what am I going to do? Call up my mom and dad and be like, help me, help me. It's, it doesn't work like that anymore. You have to learn to reparent yourself. So I had a few moments um, in the last couple months where I was just able to do that. I was able to feel the sadness, feel the anger, feel all the feelings and hold myself through it with a, with, with a witness consciousness, which is my parent self and hold my, my young wounded self through these experiences. And that's the true inner child healing work. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and you know, it's so beautiful because when you were talking and you said you alone are enough, so much came up for me when just those words, and I never had that epiphany because I've been now associating with you for almost two years or however long it's been. And, um, and I've read your handle and it's never really resonated for me in the way that it does now. And it's you alone are enough or you alone are enough. Like you as an alone person in your experience are enough for yourself. Yes. And you alone are enough. Like it's just, it's so cool how it resonates in both ways. And that's what I'm going to use to parent myself because I, when I reparent myself, I don't talk in I, I talk in, because we develop a parent ego yes. in our internal dialogue. And we speak to ourselves at, as you, you are not good enough. You are this, you are that because we're just re- mimicking or repeating the words that we heard of our parents speak to us. So mm-hmm. I like talking in use. And so I'm going to start using that. You alone are enough when I'm feeling like I want to just really nurture my inner child and let, let him know that he is enough. So yeah. thank you for that gift. <laughs> it's it's so true. I think the, the reparenting yourself is and and that level of self acceptance. I think it's it's you telling yourself that you're okay, that you you alone. I don't need you to have fancy bows or anything else. I just need you you alone, exactly as you are, are enough for this world and for me and for everything. And. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that, you know, when you start to really internalize that, you can really look at, you know, like really questioning shame and really questioning your, you know, codependent relationships and, you know, how you, you know, fit in there and, you know, all these kinds of things start to come together. Sorry, Mike. That's okay. Oh, hi. <laughs> she is very old. <laughs> um, so that's the whole thing is, is really starting to look at, you know, and for me, what I needed to do um, in my reparenting was um, that, that I'm alone, I'm, I'm enough, but also the gentleness and, you know, taking care of and, you know, sort of that nurturing um, that little girl who, you know, is, has felt so wounded and so, you know, damaged and, and all that kind of stuff and, and holding space for her and allowing her when, you know, that loneliness comes up or that sadness comes up or, you know, any of those things start to sort of bubble up to say to her, you're okay. I'm right here. It's, we're going to get through this together you know, what do you need right now? And sometimes that what do you need right now is a bath or a walk or, you know, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, obviously making sure it's a healthy thing, but, you know, sort of stepping through that and, and just really addressing what do I need to heal that, that person and, and what parenting did, do I need um, someone to, to provide or for me to provide to myself, um, in that situation. And, and it's, it's amazing. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, my, so my inner child never talked to me. She, um, was relegated to the, um, sort of horrible place in the universe. And she has within the last year, um, come forward and started talking and sort of, saying what she needs and all these kinds of things. And it's, it's quite an amazing experience. It's, um, you know, you're kind of giving a voice to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, instead of running around trying to make everything perfect for everybody else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So hmm. you did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. 
Um, so one thing that I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is holding and creating space in a relationship, because I think that plays into the boundaries and we set boundaries as a way to, to get space, but is there ways that we can, that we can do that? Like how do we hold space for our partner to navigate what they're navigating without wanting to become to a part of it and also creating space where we're navigating something and we need space to navigate it in our own sense of self without it being done in the container of the relationship. Yeah. So one of some of the big things that I've found that have been helpful for me is, is one, when I identify that somebody needs to, to, to have space held for them is number one, validating that, that that's what, you know, that they need. So they don't feel I'm just, pulling away or that I'm just being silent. So, you know, validating, you know, you're dealing with a lot right now. I'm going to sit here and, you know, you tell me if you need anything, if you, you know, anything like that. Um, And I think that when our partners say to us, I need space to work through this, again, it comes back to the communication. It's, this is where you need to really, I mean, I write, so I go back to the writing. Um, I write, you know, how do I feel in this? What's going on with this? You know, like, what's my brain doing? All this kind of stuff before I say anything to them, because I need to process um, my baggage because this is about them. This isn't about me. And so by processing what my stuff is, separate from them it allows me to still be processing but it allows me to also hold space and you know make sure that they understand that i'm here for them when they're ready right and because they'll get you'll get to a point in different relationships where you know, you can, they can really articulate what they need from you when they're, when you're holding space, it could be, I need you to just be quiet and hold me on, you know, on the, on the sofa for the next, like two and a half hours and just not say anything. And if I cry, let me cry. If I don't let me, you know, I just need, you know, I just want you physically other people. It's like, you know, they need to just constantly sort of have validation that what they're thinking and feeling is correct. Right. Yeah. That, that it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, these are natural things. It's, you know, um, so that's where I think for me, my, my knowledge or my experience more has led to in my personal relationships. Um, yeah. Cause I think professionally it's a totally different. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. yeah. And we are talking about this concept. So um, for me, the idea of creating space is it kind of comes into three realms. And I think you have physical space, you have emotional space, you have energetic space. And I think each three needs to be navigated independently because just because you're asking for physical space doesn't mean that you're going to get emotional or energetic space because your partner can still be, you can still be ruminating, you can still be whatever. So it's about... Um, you know, can you still be in the same room, but be doing different things or be navigating your processes? Like, so really getting honest with yourself and saying, what do I actually need right now? Is it physical space? Is it emotional space or is it energetic space? And um, all three are very valid and all three should be offered to each other. Um, But sometimes we ask for physical space when we're actually needing emotional space. And then our partner knows how to support us because it's like, okay, I can hold space for my partner to navigate their emotions from my own house. I don't, you know, just really setting the intention that they're navigating their process. I don't need to be holding them through it. So that's something that I've been playing with in these different realms with, within my partnership, 
And it's been effective because we're both, we both love closeness and we want to be together because we're like falling in love. It's new. And it's like, um, so what we've been practicing is playing with space while we're still, while we're together. So I'll be doing one thing. He'll be doing another. I'll be in this room. He's in that room. And we're really just playing with doing different things. So yeah, it's been, it's been, that's that's good. And it's amazing that your, your level of awareness uh, around what you need in those situations. I think that's, that's a really big thing. I, um, for myself in my dynamics, um, I have not gotten to the point where I can say, you know, I need this or I need, like, I'm not at that point yet. I sort of get ramped up and then I'm like, okay, this is what I think I need. And and then I kind of just take it. It's like a push off. Yeah. And so I, that's actually a really good learning for me to like really examine what type of space do I need? Right. And, and how can that look within, you know, the, the uh, different relationships that I have. So I think that's a good one. That's a, yeah. 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 Thanks. Um, I also wanted to just talk about quickly before uh, the reparenting, because I did put out a video on my YouTube um, called emotion regulation for highly sensitive people. And I think that's a really good one for people to, to watch based off of this episode, because I think that's my three step process of how to feel your feelings how to emotionally regulate yourself. And if you're finding that your codependency situation is causing you to be emotionally dysregulated, learn how to feel your feelings. And that's yes. part of the reparenting process too, is a lot to be there for yourself, to feel your feelings. Absolutely. If we're not feeling our feelings, we're not healing. That's key. We have to feel. So watch that video for people, for the audience that's listening. That video is critical. It's an 11 minute video and it can change your, your whole way of relating to yourself. Perfect. Yeah, Yeah. that's, I mean, those are, those are great. I had some, um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, I'm going to say it. Thich Nhat Hanh, yes. Thank you. Um, he has a few very short books on things such as, um, there's one, um, on love and it talks about, um, how to communicate love and, you know, that reciprocity and all those kinds of things. So if someone's looking for their, it's an audio book, it's, you know, it's everything. It's a very good short, I think it's 30 minutes on, you know, how do I, how do I do this? What do I need to ask? How do I do this? And what are my obligations in a dynamic, right? Their obligations. So it's, it kind of rocked my world when I listened to it the first time I was like, you know, so yeah, so that was a good one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I'm also going to put a, a, a link to a blog that I read that helped change some of this stuff for me by Mark Manson, who's the, the author of the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And, um, so that blog article is a game changer. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, is there anything else that you want to say or anything that we want to include before we wrap up? Um, other than that, I love you so much. And you're just the best ever. It's always an honor to come and, and do these. I find that I walk away just knowing and just feeling more and getting more in touch with myself. And I really hope that the, the listeners have the same sort of growth from this. Yeah. Um, it's it, just remember, I think is, is that this is a journey and everyone is on a different path. Everyone is at a different point in their path. Um, and so some people may be just starting with feeling, how does it feel in that relationship? Other people are at the point where they're like, okay, this is codependent. This is what I, you know, and, and they can start, you know, start moving from there. So it's be aware that this is a continuum, be aware that 
wherever you are, just keep moving forward with it. There's no, you know, you're failing, you're succeeding, you're just moving forward in your experiences. And, you know, you can always reach out to any of us because we're always on some sort of social media and, you know, we can refer you to, to resources or, you know, um, to Matt for counseling and, um, you know, all these kinds of things. And I think that that's, that's what I would want people to get that you are loved. You are enough just as you are and just keep finding your more authentic self. Yes. Well said, well said. <laughs> and yeah, as usual, thank you for, um, donating while well, almost two hours of your time. It's amazing. I don't think it's quite <laughs> two hours, but with our chat before and everything, but, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for your wisdom. I'm grateful for your presence. Um, I'm grateful to be able to see the growth that you've had in the last while. <laughs> and just that you're showing up in this new vivacious, confident, empowered woman. It just, it, it gets me really excited and your energy is infectious. So thank you for coming on and sharing that with me and also sharing that with the audience. It means so much to me. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, um, yeah, for people, for the audience, um, if you like this episode, please share it. If, if you know somebody that's also struggling with this dynamic, that's why we do this, right? I, I do these podcasts for that reason. I, I want them to be shared. I want people to be able to see them. And I want people to be able to be empowered by, by my journey, by Amanda's journey, and by your own journey. So um, please share if you feel inclined to. And um, yeah. And get in Much touch love. if there's something that you want to be covered on here. I think that's yeah. That's one of the big things is, is if we touch on something that, you know, you want Matt to go into more or, you know, then, you know, that can be a jumping off point because if you're interested in more information then other people are as well. And yep. the more people that, you know, can be helped and help them move forward with things, the better. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God, you're better at this than I am. You should have your <laughs> own podcast. Um, okay. Um, um yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and have a beautiful day.